How you doing today, Brian? Nick, what is a happening? I don't know, nothing much. You know, it's day one thousand of whatever. Um, I'm just, <laughs> you know, uh, getting on the best that I can. Uh, we had a great conversation today. We talked about communication and working agreements and trust. And we, we touched on a little bit of everything, I feel like. And our listeners are going to have to get ready to just listen to you and me. <laughs> That's right. How, how to effectively communicate is not just about engaging content. It's about also having active listenership. Mm-hmm. So get ready to put on your headphones. There you go. And with that, let's just <laughs> get on with the show. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today we're going to chat and we're going to chat about communication. <laughs> it's just going to be Brian and me communicating. Isn't that odd? Just just <laughs> two of us for one thing, as if we don't communicate enough together. I know. And it, it's, it's, you know, representative of 2020 that we're doing this over video conferencing, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well, it seems to be the the new uh, most ubiquitous method, right? It's the new interaction with someone, you know, quote unquote, sitting across the desk from you. They're really just a cluster of electrons on your screen. Just pixels, right? (laughs) That's right. You know, but as we're talking about this topic, you know, getting started for this episode, I think some of the things that really jump out to me, particularly in this time that we've been living through, is the lack of quality communication, particularly that I've heard from other organizations who are wrestling to understand, you know, how has the strategic imperatives for their organization changed or have they changed? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what are the new expectations uh, from working from home? And so there's sort of, you know, that's one category where there's been a bit of a black hole for some organizations where, for whatever reason, there hasn't been uh, an increased level of communication or quality communication. And then the other side of it, I think, is this tendency towards over-communication. It's almost like throwing as many meetings as possible on people's calendars to ensure that you know that they're doing some kind of work while they're working <laughs> remote, right? That, that somehow equates to, I know my people are keeping busy because I've got them in meetings all the time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, communication is a great topic, right? And you just brought up the good thing about we need to have these daily meetings so that I can get everybody and I know work's getting done when their ideas of work getting done need to shift, right? It's not somebody being in office Monday through Friday. Are deliverables being hit? Is work still being completed? Are you still getting pieces of work from people on time? I mean, just the same way you would judge that work's getting done in an office, you can judge it remotely. It's just not going to happen in that same window, right? (laughs) That everybody has. And especially with some jurisdictions, you know, are further along than others. And some people have their children at home. So they might wake up at five in the morning before the family gets up, run through a few things, um, then work for a little bit, then take care of the family and then go back to work. And that's where I feel like this going on, you know, like 
during this whole situation, I don't even want to say what it is, but we're recording this in um, October 2020. If anyone's listening and you know what's going on, like I don't need to explain this. Um, but I feel like written communication is probably underutilized um, more in the modern day, right? Because we have access to instant messaging, we have access to email. But the thing I always see with email and instant messaging is it always leaves people out of communication loop. And especially if you bring new team members on, um, they're just lost. And that's where project management tools, I feel like are more in line with you know, getting people on the same page and communicating and, and just long form writing, explaining things out and like a bulletin style form, um, where you're not expecting people to reply instantly includes everybody in the conversation. And like I said, I'll I'll go back to this team Slack thing. While they're great tools, I feel like there's an emphasis that when people get a message that people expect people to reply back instantly. And I feel like that at times can just burn people out. Oh, absolutely. I agree. The burnout factor has been pretty intense lately, I think, for a lot of folks, myself included. Part of what you're talking about, Nick, that I really resonate with is this collaborative communication and the importance of it. Email is it's a good, quick exchange medium if there are some very targeted Uh, communication assets that you want to deliver to somebody else or a small subset of people, right? Being able to deliver something like here's uh, an invoice and, you know, here's some discussion around that, or here's some options for some meeting times. Let's, you know, take a look at a shared calendar link so that we can all plan, you know, what's the best availability for anybody. Those things tend to be very good, you know, targeted communications that are effectively handled through email. Instant messaging, it it tends to be really good for some kind of direct outreach and something that's usually, you know, would get lost in email because you're Mm -hmm. looking for some kind of immediacy. And so, you know, instant messaging or texting on a mobile device or somehow, you know, some somewhat um, synonymous, I think, at this point. But trying to ping someone directly and get their immediate response, you know, that's that's where instant messaging, I think, comes in as an effective tool. But on the collaborative side, you know, there are two things that I, I heard you mention. The first is, how do you centralize that information that needs to be shared long term and that may be evolving over time? Mm-hmm having good collaborative tools, you know, there's, there's a lot of them. There's wikis, uh, there's Evernote, there's OneNote, you know, there's a, there's a lot of these different, you know, tools, Google Drive, whatever it is, where you can put documents in and uh, have some kind of table of contents that dictates uh, the, you know, the hierarchy or the order of the content that you're putting in, and then opens the door for other people to be able to collaborate on it, right? So that it's not just this static, here's my white paper on XYZ initiative. <laughs> it's, it's more, here's where we're at in the current state of the knowledge base that we're creating around this thing that we need to share. You know, you know, it's funny when, when you said it's a living, breathing document and us as technical people should know how to do this, right? We are literally talking about documentation of software, almost how to use something, right? And then you put a version number on the document and you say when it was last revised, right? And who revised it? Um, it's, it's almost like you need that. And, you know, as people are working remotely, I feel like 
you know, the long form written communication is more apparent, especially for people who are in IT organizations and maybe you run IT support and end users are at home by themselves and maybe they don't have an internet connection. So you, your remote support staff can't remote onto their computer. You need some way to pass a document onto them where they can start to try to troubleshoot themselves, troubleshoot themselves. And that, that's where I think, you know, us as technologists should be familiar with taking this same methodology of like what we would do for technical documentation and maybe applying it to our projects, right? Um, you know, when we get a deliverable, X, Y, Z happens, then it goes to accounting, then accounting does this. We can take those same methodologies and the, some of the same practices that we look at when we do a system design or a system layout or, or just instructions and apply that to different, um, you know, lines of business. And it, like I said, it's something we all hate doing, but there's been a number of times I hated doing it. But then as soon as I see somebody made a document, I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I know how this works. And like I said, that can be a great thing that goes along different lines of business. Yeah. And to that point, I, I think having something that gives you some of those modernized features that are really required around access to a knowledge base so that people who aren't familiar with the structure they're not familiar with the content that's housed there, but they know that they're looking for something specific. It's really important to have something that's searchable and, and a searchable format that allows for some kind of indexing and classification that uh, allows for tagging, right? That has pages that you might be able to hyperlink into some mm -hmm. other kind of shared document or uh, a Teams channel or a Slack channel or whatever it is so that it makes it very easy to socialize that quickly and to make it relevant to those folks who aren't necessarily on the inner circle of the communication that's being shared, but need to get access to that information on an ad hoc, you know, basis. Yeah. And I, I like that. And I don't remember where I read this, but, um, or who was doing it. And as you're doing that, it just triggered a thought in my mind that if you, if, you use Basecamp at all, um, it triggers you and asks you, hey, what are you working on on a Monday? Um, what, what are your roadblocks? And just to update your staff generally. And I had seen this one organization that took that same approach, but they're like, hey, just do a five-minute video and let everyone know you're, what you're working on. And that way people can just consume the videos and everybody doesn't have to join uh, on, a, on a Zoom meeting. And I was like, you know what, that's kind of brilliant because people like to do different things. And like, for me, I like to sit down, go through my email, drink my coffee for a little bit. And if I had a way of going through those with videos, that'd be a great way to just sit down and see what everybody's working on and, and still kind of get that face-to-face -face interaction without, you know, <laughs> sitting on a Zoom meeting, right? Yeah. You know, five minutes almost feels long to me, but well, it was just an example. It, it probably no, no, wasn't I, five minutes, but um, <laughs> I'm trying to recall where I had seen that. I don't remember, but I was like, oh, you know, just quick check-ins. And it was once a week. It wasn't, it wasn't daily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, you know, earlier we were talking about sort of this uh, knee-jerk reaction to over-communicating with things that are almost irrelevant, right? It's we're putting meetings on people's calendars just so that we know we've got them captive. And mm -hmm. that way we can feel good about 
you know, we've got employee resources that are available and quote unquote working, even though how, how much of an impediment are you creating for them? <laughs> You're actually preventing them from working by forcing them to be in a meeting that has, uh, you know, no necessary agenda uh, that's been made explicit and maybe even not any clear direction or clear leadership in it. You know, that that's not effective communication. Coming from more of an agile background, Jump in there, Nick. I can see you're about no, to No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Coming from a more agile background, the, the idea of the daily stand-up, right? So we would have a team typically of somewhere between like eight and 12 people. And our stand-ups were 15 minutes. And it, you, you only had the opportunity to go through three questions with each person. And depending on how many things we had in scope for whatever the current sprint was, there may be, you know, a need to go back and hit somebody more than once uh, on the stand-up questions. But it was always, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? What are your roadblocks? Right? And, and those were the things that would get discussed. It was just that simple. And you'd, everyone would literally stand up. I mean, that's where the term stand up <laughs> comes from, right? You, the whole purpose was to make people not settle into the comfort of a long drawn out meeting. It's we're going to do this sharp. We're going to do it fast. Everybody's got to be standing up. Everybody's got to be at the ready, you know, pay attention. And so it's almost like encouraging the blood flow to the brain by making sure that everyone is standing when you go through the routine. And as a scrum master, you hit everybody in the circle. And sometimes you have to go back to somebody more than once. But it was an easy way to get all the information out on the table for a team that's working and has, has to be working cohesively on something. N not everyone had to be able to go so deep on someone else's domain, but they needed to know enough about what that person was working on that they understood if their own work had dependencies on what was holding somebody else back or if their own work could contribute to speeding along the process for someone else's deliverables. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, you know, I think the standing meeting has kind of gotten a bad rap recently because people have done, like what you said, right? They turned a standing meeting into a daily morning meeting. Um, that's like an hour instead of what it was mm -hmm. originally intent, intended to be. You know, you stood because people got uncomfortable and they got tired of standing. Um, so everyone got it out fast. Um, but so, like, as as we talk about, right now and the standing means and communicating why it's important for you know obviously leadership to communicate down but i feel like it's important for individual team members to also communicate up right because sometimes as leaders we might not be aware that a certain situation is going on you know if i'm in a situation where i manage 10 people um i might not notice an issue on one person um you know, at daily work environment, especially right now, right? Because we're not face to face all the time. So what are some of your tips for, uh, you know, communicating up? Yeah, you know, brevity, I think is key. And uh, particularly for somebody who they may be in a senior leadership role, and they're already log jammed with meetings. So having an executive summary version or elevator pitch version of whatever it is that you're trying to approach someone with, I think is hugely beneficial. If you can get those things out and just be succinct and make sure that 
you know, there's three things you need to know. Here's what's going on. It's this, this, and this, and I need a decision. Or, you know, conversely, we've run into a challenge. We've got uh, a handful of options. Here's the number one option that I recommend. Here's option two. Here's why it could or could not work. Here's option three. It, it would probably work the most effectively, but it takes the longest and it's the most expensive, right? And being able to just spell those things out very clearly and quickly so that you're then enabling uh, your top level leader uh, to be efficient in their own decision making, right? They need to be able to receive the information, understand it quickly, and then act on it. That's that's effectively what you're looking for someone that you're communicating up to, right? Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I just I was just curious. I, I always like to hear how people like to communicate up, right? There, there's always this expe- expectation that leadership communicates down and any good leadership should be communicating down to their staff, but then they should also be you know, encouraging their employees to communicate up um, in multiple forms and fashion, uh, you know, whether that's suggestion boxes or employee surveys, um, you know, I feel like, especially right now too, it, leaders should be checking in with their people at least every so often saying, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, so I feel like that upward communication is very important. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think uh, a component of that as well is encouraging two-way dialogue, right? It's, it's not just about, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm going to blast you with a bunch of stuff that I need to tell you, and then I'm going to take off, right? <laughs> That's, those, those are like drive-by communication slams. But being able to come by and say something to the effect of, I've been thinking about this issue that we're challenged with. I've got some ideas about what we might be able to do with it. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Is this even worth pursuing right now? Right, and always, always being able to um, interject the communication with additional questions. And leading questions kind of don't count because if you're trying to just you know, shape the path for where you want someone to end up, I mean, I guess that is one effective way, <laughs> particularly if you're in a, a role where you know you're leading up with your management structure. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, in earnest, trying to encourage uh, asking questions and soliciting actual uh, opinions so that you have a diverse perspective in whatever it is that you're challenged with. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. And Asking questions is kind of key in communication, right? Um, It's about not being worried about being that person who always asks the questions, right? Being labeled as that guy. Um, If you don't understand something, you should definitely be asking questions, right? Um, I I don't mind being that guy. Like when I went through college, I was definitely older than most of the other kids who were going through. And I didn't mind sitting up front being the guy who always asked a question when I didn't understand something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like, I'm sure there was somebody that going to say like, man, this guy's going to ask a question again. But to me, I didn't understand something. So I want to know the answer. I mean, if I didn't understand, then somebody else probably didn't understand. And that's kind of helps lubricate some other communication where you find out maybe there's not going issue where nobody understands and nobody just wants to say anything that they don't understand. And I've even seen that before when I worked at a huge consulting company and we would have, you know, meetings with developers who were um, in another country. And at times, you know, just 
just different cultures have different sayings and we were saying certain phrases and, you know, just not realizing that the other side didn't understand. Um, and it wasn't until we get meeting notes back that we're like, wait a second, we need to, you know, curb back our communication and make sure that we're being careful what we say and that we're not using like known phrases like uh, the phrase that we were saying was catch 22. And they were like, well, we don't know what that is. And no one wanted to say anything, but it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, especially across different cultures, you want to make sure that you're communicating clearly. And sometimes it's a matter of just stopping, speaking, letting a pause happen uh, and that you don't have to fill in every word. Um, and like I said, when you're communicating across cultures, I always try to not use any phrases that, that are kind of culturing, culturally known, especially if English is somebody's second language, then you really don't want to use any of those. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it's important also to just follow up by saying, is, is what I'm explaining here clear? Mm-hmm. And making sure that if you're not buying it, that someone's agreeing, oh, yeah, it's clear. Then you just have them walk you back through it. Okay, help me, you know, walk, walk me through your understanding of what I just told you. Another component to that, I think, is making sure that important information is available, right? As, as an artifact, some kind of leave behind or, you know, that you've got a link to a wiki article or whatever it is so that there's a reference point so that uh, when you go through the speed of direct interaction and particularly in the age of remote meetings <laughs> where it's there, you have no idea what else might be going on in the room for somebody else where that might be capturing their attention, right? Or detracting mm-hmm. from the attention that you're trying to garner from them. And so you may be sharing ideas, you may see their heads nodding, you may be getting a lot of you know, verbal feedback. And then two hours later, you get a question via an IM or something asking to clarify something that should have been explicit through the communication that was provided or should have been a question that was asked right there in the very dialogue that was taking place. Now it's an indicator to you that somebody has been spinning their wheels for a while trying to figure out what exactly did he mean by that? So (laughs) having uh, some kind of reference point after uh, an important communication so that if we're going to discuss items one, two, and three, I'm going to leave something, even if it's just, uh, you know, a shared notebook document that's got some bulleted items on it, right? So that you've got something from a starting point uh, from which to work. And Mm -hmm. again, putting that stuff in email is not a great way to centralize that if it's intended to be shared between more than two people, in my opinion. No, when I think you're, you're on point. Um, I think we're, we're getting right back to where we said that long form written communication is probably the way that um, you need to go, right? <laughs> it's, it's the way you loop everybody in. And especially if new people roll onto a project, they have all this long form documentation, documentation, they could go back and get up to speed without waiting you now. Uh, for Joe and Sally to loop them in on an email that was from three months ago um, that they might not even have anymore, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so I, I feel like that long form written communication is good. And my, my rule of thumb was like, 
I use IM for like real quick things, right? It's like, hey, if I expect her one or two word reply, I'm not going to send an email. That's just a real quick IM. Um, and I don't necessarily, re, you know, expect people to reply back instantly either. <laughs> like I know people have stuff going on. They're in other meetings. Um, but, but, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm uh, <laughs> a little out there when it comes to IM, but especially even text messaging and stuff like that. I guess I'm not your typical millennial, although I'm sometimes a millennial, sometimes I'm not, but it depends on how you look at it, but I don't expect instant communication back. Well, and I think part of what I just heard you say, you don't expect, right? From a leadership perspective, setting those expectations early on and reiterating them along the way, It's one of those things that in some of my own organizational development work, we've identified them as working agreements among the team. And it's especially Mm -hmm. important, I think, if you've got a new team or you've got an evolving team, you're dealing with a a new structural change for the department, any variety of these things that might disrupt what the status quo has been. And Mm -hmm. uh, particularly if you're bringing in someone new at a management level, and they've gone through some kind of difficult transition like moving from peer to manager. There may be one set of expectations on a peer level related to communications that now have to change because someone else who has been a peer is now in somebody else's direct reporting structure. Mm-hmm. So making those expectations clear up front, uh, working agreements are, are something that I've found to be very effective to do that. It can kind of be as broad or as narrow as you want it to be. From a, a broad perspective, you can talk about, you know, what are the dynamics that are going to make this entire department successful, right? Or every team that's a member of the department being open and transparent and disclosing information, all of those behaviors that can help elicit trust in other mm-hmm. team members versus cloistering information because you feel like it makes you more powerful if you've got access to something that you know others do not, right? And that, that's just a, that's a, ends up being a quagmire of mistrust in my experience. Um, but the other component of the work agreements is, you know, just be clear about what those expectations are. You know, let's, let's make sure that if we're working in remote offices and you report to me, I want to talk directly with you on a daily basis. It can be a phone call. It can be uh, a remote meeting. Uh, you know, it. I just want it to be something where we're hearing each other's voices and talking in real time mm-hmm. versus just flipping, you know, texts or IMs back and forth to each other. Yeah, and I, I like that you brought up work agreements. Um, and, and a lot of organizations, when they do the remote working thing, they, they tend to do them. But one thing I feel like some organizations don't do is they don't go back after a certain point in time and do like the agile thing and look at their work agreements and say, Hey, is this working? Right? Like maybe initially they're meeting twice a week and you find out three months down the road, meeting twice a week is too much and it's interfering with everybody's work. Uh, So I feel like it's helpful with those work agreements to go back and analyze them and say, Completely as a team, like, does this work? Is this working? Um, Just from an an objective perspective, we're not talking about, you know, this works for me and this is like X, Y, Z. And, you know, he doesn't do that. She doesn't like, no, I just want to know, does this work from an objective perspective? You know, should we still be doing this? Because I feel like we have a, you know, as humans, we have a tendency to get into habits and 
we'll just keep those, you know, weekly two hour <laughs> meetings because we're doing them and that's what we have been doing. Um, yeah, I think it, it's worth going back and reviewing them on a frequent basis to make sure that it's still working. I think so too. And uh, uh, an addendum to that, I think can be actually having a conversation with the team around what are the preferred methods of communication so that you don't necessarily have to tie any one person to any particular medium that makes them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you also have to set the expectations that sometimes we're going to get out of our comfort zone, right? <laughs> and, um, it's going to be important for us to meet others where they're at uh, so that we can actually uh, have uh, direct and meaningful communication. Yeah, and that goes two ways, right? If you set the work agreements and you're like, okay, I expect everyone to, you know, put in base camp or whatever project management tool, there's tons of them, uh, your daily thing. And then, you know, when I am you, I expect something back in two hours. But if I call you on the phone, it's an emergency and I expect you to answer the phone, right? But that's got to go the other way across. If you set that work agreement, you yourself need to follow the rules as the leader that you set out, right? You can't then just call them anytime you need a question answered. Like you have to follow the same set standards that you put out. And I feel like that's important as a leader because if if you don't follow what was put out in there, then why why should any of your team members follow it? They're just going to throw it to the wind. Like, well, why did we even create this then if you're just going to do whatever you want? Um, that's just my two cents on that. You know, you create the work agreements, but leaders should still be following the agreements that they've signed. Because I have seen, you know, in organizations, you know, jobs in the past where people set those and then they don't follow, the leaders don't follow them. So then people are like, oh, well, then why did we even do these if these rules don't apply to you? Right. (laughs) So Nick, I know that we ask a lot of our guests this question, but in terms of media resources, are are there things that jump to mind uh, that are uh, beneficial for you on on this particular topic? So my favorite book just on communication and people in general is that how to win friends and influence people by uh, Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie, right? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's from, it's a book from like the twenties and it's like, Oh gee, golly wish, you know, if you want to, (laughs) but um, to me, it just has perfect, just set and stated points. It's like, you know, when you're speaking with something, someone generally be interested in what they're saying. And, you know, the communication will go so much easier. It's just those little points like that. And you can apply that same principle to I am or to, you know, teams or, you know, Word docs or however you're doing it. To me, that's always a great resource. And I I read it every couple of years again, and I pull out some other little nugget out of that book. I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's one that still tops my list. And for all the reasons that you just stated, I, I would say that there's a, um, a sort of a modern corollary uh, to that same book that's called Just Listen by Mark mm-hmm. Golston. And part of what I like about that book is, you know, you see a lot of these titles out there that are related to uh, effective communication, you know, how to have difficult conversations, how to, how to have conversations while you're managing up, right? All these different things. But kind of to your point about the Dale Carnegie book with Just Listen, that's effectively what gives you all of the bench strength that you need in your communications is starting from a place 
where you're not thinking about what's next to be said for you, but mm-hmm. it's really listening to ask additional probing questions so that you can gather as much information as possible and then share in a very collaborative way so that it does get to uh, more of the effective communication because instead of uh, just jabbering at each other and trying to, um, you know, foist your own, uh, you know, directives on uh, a team that may not be, you know, ready to follow your direction. It's more about engaging from a collaborative perspective and being authentic in mm-hmm. how you're choosing to communicate with somebody else. I'll, I'll add one more book to that too. And it's not really communication related. It's, it's called Creative Creativity Inc. And it's by Ed Catmill. Um, you know, he's one of the co-founders of, of Pixar and and one of the things they go through their their story process when they create a movie, right? They do the storyboards and they get everybody together and they, they said they want feedback from everybody on, on this process. It's like, okay, they'll watch storyboards and they go, does it make sense that this character would do that? And everyone's allowed to say what they want to the director. Um, and the director can either take it or leave it. It's just a feedback loop. You know, they're just trying to get information back from all of their team members to find out um, if the story is effective, if the story they're trying to tell is correct, does it feel like this character would do that? And I really like that process. And if you watch any of their movies, you can kind of tell that they are sticklers on how they tell their stories. Because uh, they're always, their movies always tend to be pretty well put together. I mean, even if you don't have kids, I mean, you can probably watch any of those movies and, and, you know, fall for some of the stories, but that's also another good one uh, that I like to put on. And they do a lot from the creative perspective too, how to, how to take creative teams and people from different areas and get them to work together. So that that's a good one that I recommend too. Cool. I've heard you mention that many times and I've never picked it up. So I'm going to move it to the top of my list. <laughs> it's a good one. It's got like Buzz Lightyear and he's uh, on, on the cover. Um, it's, it's, it's a good book though. I love it. To infinity and beyond. can we say that legally um (laughs) Uh, maybe as long as we're not mimicking the voice you know well i don't sell anything so i don't come get zero dollars that i've got from this podcast (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the conversation today nick yeah appreciate it all right have a good one brian you too